This episode, let me say this, is brought to you by Birmingham Black Pride. Meet us in Birmingham August 15th through 18th for Birmingham Black Pride Part 2. Yeah, this is our second year during Birmingham Black Pride, and we got a lot of stuff in store for you. For more information on the activities going on during this week, visit our website at www.bhamblackpride.org. That's www.bhamblackpride.org. So, welcome to another episode of Let Me Say This. This is your host, Tony Kristen Walker in the house. Yeah. Okay, I'm having sound effects, but hey, so this is a continuation of my personal podcast called Let Me Say This. As you knew, as you know, Let Me Say This grew out of my podcast um, that I have with my friends, Derek and Quanta May, called Same Crap Different Day. So, I promised y'all when I first started this that I was going to do some different stuff. So today I'm actually going to interview one of my really good friends, a guy by the name of Marvin Anderson. Marvin does some really, really wonderful work within the, the black community in general, the black gay community in particular. Uh, we have a lot of issues that we deal with being black people because being black, we're marginalized and we have even more issues being black and gay because that marginalizes us even more. So Marvin is going to talk a little bit about the work that he does, um, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So let me give him a call. Y'all, so I got a little fancy now. I can actually call people and record. So here we go. Hello. Hey, Marvin. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Well, good. So, uh, thank you for um, being my guinea pig <laughs> and my test subject for this new technology I'm trying out. And also, thank you for being willing to, to do this interview and uh, share your story. So, I've already given my listeners a little bit about you, pretty much your name and what you do. So, I want you to tell them a little bit about yourself, a little bit about where you came from, and a lot, a little, and a lot about your uh your work on trying to empower people who are marginalized awesome um so i'm originally from uh, baton rouge louisiana right now uh, uh geographically i'm located in birmingham alabama um i relocated to work for an awesome organization in public health that serves marginalized people which is southern AIDS coalition um but before um getting into the specific work of Public health. Um, I worked as an empowerment coach and basically empowering people to live their best lives and to live a full, authentic life. And so, when I came into the work um, as also um, a marginalized individual and a man um, that's thriving with HIV for the past eight years, um, Tony, I really kind of um, and, and you and I talked about this before. I really was like trying to find like where that I fit, right? Right. Um, because okay, I'm positive, but what do I have to offer, like to people? Um, and I know that outside of the work of public health, I was able to like empower individuals, and then one day it just clicked um, that you know what, Marvin, like everybody needs to be empowered. Everybody needs to know that they can thrive. And what what better group of people than people that are living with HIV? And so um, 
I created this um, presentation called Living Beyond HIV, and I'm also working on a, a manuscript for it, um, Living Beyond HIV, The Power of You. And with that, I just I really had the opportunity to go into spaces and to really speak to people because I think a lot of times we look at the clinical side, a lot of times we look at um, the health side, but we don't look at the holistic side that, you know, the emotional and the traumatic um, impression that it have on people like myself and others um, when we receive a diagnosis. And so I, you know, try to try to tell people that, you know, before you receive an HIV diagnosis, there was another diagnosis you received, and that is that you have purpose on your life, there's greatness on your life, that you can't overcome, you can't achieve, and you're more than your diagnosis. And so I just really, you know, find passion and purpose in you know, building people beyond a diagnosis. And that's really where I find my um, purpose at. And so um, I was just really blessed to, you know, have individuals in the field like, you know, and uh, work with other people like yourself who've encouraged me to, you know, say, hey, you don't have to be cookie cutter. You don't have to be um, the person that um, is just an advocate or you don't have to do it the traditional or conventional way that you can bring your skill set of empowerment and pushing people beyond their personal limits. And so that's kind of like where I've kind of like found my niche and it's working. And um, and it just gives me the greatest honor to be able to touch the lives of people. So um, let, me, like let, me, let me stop you for a second. So, so let's go back. Sure. So, so you're doing a monologue. We're doing an interview. So let me ask you this. So let, okay. let's, talk a little, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you. So tell me, so you say okay. you, you've been thriving with HIV, and I like the way that you uh, phrased that. But tell me, tell me, like, like, what were you before HIV? And like, what did you think about HIV before you started oh. to, to live with it? Um, well, okay, so of course I heard about HIV. Um, I kind of like was a little knowledgeable about HIV, but to be honest with you, um, I was a part of a population which, <laughs> and I don't want to take you on a tangent, Tony, but. <laughs> no, um, tell me about that population. Of, I must know. <laughs> <laughs> I was part of Christian, you know, Christianity, which I still identify, but, you know, I was really big in the church and a really big part of the church and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't think I was exempt, but because I was a part of a demographic of people that, you know, the message of HIV and prevention and awareness was not readily, uh, wasn't welcome, right? And so me being in that environment, you know, I was I was churching and loving the Lord and doing all of those things, but at the same time, I was still having sex. So, you know, so let me ask you this. Um, who, who were you having sex with? Let's talk about that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so because of the other segment of pressures, you know, I keep 100 to uh, Because of the stigma and the other pressures, like I, you know, I was having sex with my wife, who um, I knew that I had, I knew that I loved her, but I knew that I wasn't in love with her, and I knew authentically I was the same gender loving man. Okay. Right. But because of growing up in the South and being in the South, that was And being in that church. That wasn't cool. <laughs> right. And yes. <laughs> being at that church. Being a preacher at that church, you know. Glory! 
it wasn't an option for me, so I had to like fake the funk. And so it so, was the wife during the day, and then I was flipping and sliding. So with, let me with, so, with so, dudes so, let, so let me ask you this because this is something I really want to put out there because this is something and I already know your answer just because I know you. Okay, but um, your wife, what's her HIV status right now? She is negative. Okay, the reason why um, I ask, let me, hold on, let me stop. The reason why I ask you that is because there is this myth because people would consider you, given the information that you've just given us, people would consider you to be a quote unquote DL or download man. And the myth and the stigma of being bisexual, whether you're actively bisexual because you like being bisexual or you were conditionally bisexual because, hey, I got to get in this pussy while I can because if not, they're going to call me a sister because that's what they do. You know, you were living as a bisexual man. So the myth is that women contract HIV from bisexual men. And we know that that's not true. Most women who contract right. HIV contracted from heterosexual men who are probably having unprotected sex with sex workers because down low men, which I hate that term, are actually more careful when they're out fucking dudes than they are than straight guys are when they're fucking other Listen. women. But, right. Listen, and I can testify to that. Like, Come on, testify. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, because, you know, you want to make sure I'm going to keep you at bay. I'm going to get somebody who's far away from my world mm-hmm. and I'm going to use protection because I don't want nothing to pop off. Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. you're absolutely correct. So for me, that rings true. Like oh, with the terminology that we use, safe sex, or I, I like to wear protected sex, not safe sex, because what's safe sex, right? <laughs> right. So <laughs> Hard um, head. I, 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 I have protected sex. And, um, and so, yeah, a lot more, much more. And so then I did not really um, become diagnosed until several years after right. getting divorced. So because let me so, you're right. I mm. so let so let me say this. There I go with that phrase. So so this is what I this is what I gather and this is what I keep trying to tell people, but you know people, especially people in the church, they want to vilify somebody. So somebody has to be the villain in their story and they do a really, really good job of vilifying gay people. But the problem is that when people are I kind of like having sex in and out of your truth. So, like, when you're having sex within your truth, most people having sex within their truth are not going to use protection. And that truth could be I'm a heterosexual man having sex with women or I'm a gay man having sex with other men. Because bisexual men live in this, like, this little nuance. Like, if people could be more honest about their sexuality, honestly, I think if people are more honest about their sexuality, we may have more women who are infected with HIV, now that I think about that. And the reason why I say that is when people, like, you were married and having sex with men, so you were extra careful when you go out. You know, when when mm-hmm. when you decided that, okay, I'm just going to have sex with guys, then, you know, I'm out here with these guys, I'm with this person who's going to be my partner, my mate, and so I don't really have to be as careful because, you know, hey, I'm pretty, we're in this monogamous relationship. The other problem, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so you kind of like let your guard. And, 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 and every one of them, and every one of them that was good sex, I'm gonna do them forever, right? So, <laughs> yeah, especially when like, they have some I good mean, sex. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so when you, yeah. so when you, when you're having sex within what you call your realm of truth, then you're not as cautious because you don't have to worry about I may bring something back home. You know what I'm saying? That's so. Correct. So, yeah. so when when people talk about you know download men or infected women, I always like, girl, y'all just don't get it. You just don't get it because that's not where most 
straight women who contract HIV from men, that, that's not how they're getting it. They're getting it from guys who are having unprotected sex with sex workers because they think, okay, this is a woman. She can't have sex because that's just for the gays. And then you throw caution to the women. Boom, boom, bam. There you go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I really had not paid full attention to that until you just said it. And you're <laughs> absolutely right. I, I, I can think back to how I was very tough. I always kept condoms close by and with me. And then it was after the fact that, yeah. So I think I think that rings true. There, yeah. I mean, there's going to be exceptions and there. Nothing is absolutes. But just when you think about the general happenings that go on, and, of course, the need, like I said, the need for people to feel like they have to vilify someone. That's what typically happens. So, okay, so you you were married, you got divorced, you got out in, in the streets and, you know, getting your groove on. What did it feel like when you got your diagnosis? Um, For me, uh, when I received my diagnosis, because I did have knowledge before, mm-hmm. um, um I didn't have this moment of, oh, woe is me. I didn't, for me, I didn't have that moment. Right. Um, for me, it was like, because I had knowledge, I was like, okay, tell me what to do to live. I'm going to do that, and let's keep moving. That's what it was for me. I, you know, I didn't unplug. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had time to, you know, stop and whatever. And, and, but to be honest with you, I think it's because I had already tapped into this empowerment thing, right? Right. And so... I was I had already adapted that for my own life. And so I think having all those things in place just kinda like helped me to push beyond. So when you got your diagnosis, yeah. you know, you didn't roll around and right. cry and all that other stuff. In because you had already tapped into the empowerment thing. A lot of that is due to fear though. Well, and and because of and because I kinda knew some of the signs, like I knew I was gonna live and I died. However, right. I, I don't want to be deceptive or, or make you, lead you to believe that stigma was not there because it absolutely positively was there. Like, I can talk about it in this interview with you right now, but it took me about two years before I was strong enough to, to have a conversation about it or to talk about it or to tell anybody right. because <clears throat> the stigma was very strong. So so that's two different things for me. And then I could live, and that was cool, but I could still fly under the radar and not tell anybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got you. I got you. So I was fearful. Well, you know, and, and that's time. to be that's to be expected. Anytime someone gets a medical diagnosis that is counter to them being totally healthy, they always kind of live in a little bit of fear. <clears throat> so, tell me about you know the, the 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 background or the the basics of your empowerment uh, movement. Well, so. Like I said before, you know, I was a part of a church and I was preaching and all of that and, and I was married. And so after I got divorced, after I accepted my full, full gayness, because, you know, you, you said a few times, like, you know, men are down a little bisexual. Like, I, I feel like I always, I was gay all the whole time. Right. I just kind of, like, did that to please you know, society or whatever. Many of but, us many um, of us do that all the time though. Like, you know, I mean I got, you know, a kid and three grandkids only because little boys were supposed to like little girls back then. So I, I get it. Yeah. And so and so I got into a problem because after I got a divorce and I was like, okay, you know, this is it's not who I'm I am. I per se did not I felt like 
I knew I wanted to help people live better lives. I knew I wanted to still be a part of that process, but I did not want to live the hypocritical life. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be what I saw other people being. I didn't want to have my wife on the front row and this guy that was helping carry my Bible as my uncle, <laughs> my, dude, my, my dude on the side. Right, right. And so, because that's what they do. And if y'all like, go to one of those churches, that's what they're doing, girl. <laughs> yeah, that's and what so doing. I didn't want that for myself. I, want, I didn't want that for myself, but I always had this vision, and you know, we, you always laugh at me because I've always had this vision like, oh, well, I'm going to have this one guy, and we're going to be together, and da 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 da. And I, I've always wanted wholesome, and I, I was the one I wanted family. And so when I got divorced, I wanted it just for me and whoever my partner was going to be, right? right? And so I was like, I'm not going to be a liar. I'm not going to be a hypocrite because that's the narrative now. Of course, I've grown now, but at that time, I was like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to be a liar. Um, so you know what? I'm not going to be able to do ministry anymore, but I still want to help people. How can I do that? And I uh, went to the conference one time and I saw this um, guy named George Frazier. And he had life coaches and empowerment coaches there. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Right. And that's where the empowerment started. Because it was kind of like a replacement for the ministry aspect where I can still help people speaking to people's lives and empower people, but I didn't have to go under the term preacher or I, I, I didn't have to be in a religious construct. What was your religious background? What denomination were you? Oh, non-denomination or like Pentecostal. You know, oh, okay. just, yeah. Speaking of the tongues and yeah. laying on other hands. Ooh, and walking shoes and being from the town there and like all that. Yes. Yes. Right. Look, this is that. I won't take you on a break. So, listen, we're going to go into a break. When we come back, I want to start the break off by you giving me information about how people can um, can find uh, your your messages online. Uh, they, I've seen uh, a lot of them that have been very inspirational. But uh, we'll talk about your stuff. How can they find you? And then we'll close out with five questions, okay? Awesome. All right, so give me one moment and we'll be back from this break. Okay. This episode of Let Me Say This is brought to you by Birmingham Black Pride. Meet us in Birmingham August 15th through 18th for Birmingham Black Pride Part 2. Yeah, this is our second year during Birmingham Black Pride, and we got a lot of stuff in store for you. For more information on the activities going on during this week, visit our website at www.bhamblackpride.org. That's www.bhamblackpride.org. All right, so we are back with Mr. Marvin Anderson. Uh, thank you again for you know agreeing to do this. This has been great. Uh, just a lot of great content, and I, I love your story. Uh, one thing I do want to say to my listeners, you know, this is my newest podcast. We may not be on episode ten yet, but be sure to like this, <laughs> <laughs> share it, review it, send it to a friend. It's on all the major. Um, podcast platforms right now iTunes, SoundCloud um, TuneIn Radio if you think of some place that you listen to podcasts that I'm not at let me know and we will try to make that happen so Mr. Anderson so so again so so I told you before the break I want to talk about where we can find your information but before we do that tell me you know some of the things that you help people do as a life coach and then we'll go into the information thing oh sure uh, so one of the things is helping people to find out like what their purpose is. And, you know, 
a lot of people wake up each day and they do stuff that they hate. Um, <laughs> so it's really not the Monday. It's not the Monday morning that's the problem. It's what you're doing when you wake up on the Monday morning. And, you know, so I, I help a lot. I've helped so many people tap into, um, tap into why they're on this earth, why you created, you mm-hmm. know, what's your life's purpose. So that's the main thing, helping people to find purpose. And then I help individuals with their personal and professional brands. You know, that's a buzzword, right? So everybody <laughs> has right. this brand nowadays, but kind of like having no <laughs> idea of what it actually is. Um, and so helping people to define that a brand is something that is, that is authentically comes from the inside, not the out, and that brand that is not a what pop culture tells you you are right. is what you actually bring to pop culture. And so those are the two main spirits that I um, talk about is purpose, empowerment, and, you know, helping people develop um, professional brands as well. So if someone wants to get in touch with and, you, uh-oh, go ahead. And, and, and you know, living beyond power to live beyond HR. Yeah. Right. Because that's important. You know, um, I think both of us have dealt with our HIV diagnosis in such a way to where, it's not a real, it's a part of who we are, but it doesn't define who we are. So I think sometimes even when I'm talking to people who work in the field, I just kind of forget to bring that up. But yeah, being empowered and knowing how to live beyond your HIV diagnosis is something that everybody who is living with HIV needs to to, to be able to work through. <clears throat> the other thing that I think is very interesting, and you didn't say, well, you may have, and I didn't ask you this, but no, given the fact that the church is so hypocritical, you know, did you ever yeah. feel like that, you know, your HIV diagnosis was like some of your punishment for maybe talking about other people or just not living the God, the holy life that God had called you to live? Um, You know what, Tony? I never thought that. You know why? Because I was in the back room with, oh, I was about to say a bad word. <laughs> I was in the back room with, <laughs> with the preachers who may not have stuck with men, but they were sticking with. All five women on the front row. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I never had that narrative because I saw like some of the godless lives that they lived. <laughs> I was like, surely, surely, you know, this isn't, you know, because of it. I did feel bad because like you said, like I said, I had knowledge and, and I did have a, my personal relationship with God. So at, at some point I did feel ashamed and I was um, upset with myself because right. how could you, you know, I had already almost made it to 40. Like, how could you go this long? And now you're going to get a diagnosis. So that's right. the only thing I just felt upset with myself, you know, that I didn't do better. You know what I'm saying? I feel you. So yeah. let me ask this. So if I got some people who want to know more about what you do and how they can be empowered and live beyond whatever situation they got going on. Because let me just say this. If you can live past HIV, your ass can live through just about anything else. So whatever else they got going on. <laughs> right. How can they get in touch with you? Right. So, um, so my apartment brand is um, called Live Higher, um, um, Living Lifestyle, you know, and Living Learning Lifestyle. So if you live, you learn, and your lifestyle, and all of that comes together, and you're empowered, right, from your right. lived experience. And so my website is www.livehigherandown.com. And like everything that we talked about on here, even testimonials from clients that I've held, um, um, books that I've written, like everything is there, livehighernow.com. And I'm also Live Higher Inc. on Instagram and Twitter. So, no Facebook? You know the book? 
Oh, and Marvin Anderson on Facebook. Okay, Marvin so Anderson Marvin Anderson is living higher on Facebook. Okay, because you know those old people into the Facebook, the Book of Faces, so. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so before yeah. we finish up, Marvin, again, I do want to thank you for, you know, your time and being my test subject on this um, this little journey that I'm on. So, I got five. Well, you know, I like to feel special so I can say I was the, I was the first. <laughs> you were the first. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so here are my um, my five questions for you. So, question number one. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to young Marvin? What would you tell young Marvin? Let's say young 18-year-old Marvin. Young 18-year-old Marvin. Live life authentically and live life exactly how the hell you want to because <laughs> you are trying to live in all these constructs and all of these boundaries and all these confines that everybody around you is living but the 20-something-year-old Marvin and 30-something-year-old Marvin found out that all those people that were trying to tell you to live this way and to do this to make them happy they were living they were being happy you know what right. I'm saying and yeah so I would tell Marvin like like have the courage that some of these millennials in 2019 have. Because aren't, aren't they living their lives? Living. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Unapologetic. Unapologetically. Getting on your nerves sometimes, <laughs> but they are living their lives. And yes, millennials yeah, do get on and my I, nerves. And, I, you know, and, that's why, and in my mind, I'd be like, I'm a millennial. Because, I mean, <laughs> there's such a courageous generation. Yeah. You know, in spite of our poor babies who are not living beyond it and they kind of like, the shame and, and the things that the concept of society put on them. But then we have a large population of our millennials that are like, the hell with that. Right. I'm going to do me. They don't care. So they, that's what I would tell them. They have no fucks yeah. to give whatsoever. So question number two, what would you change about the world? What would I change about the world? Um, that the world... It's so judgmental and so self-righteous and and so limiting to one another that, you know, you got to act like me, you got to talk like me, you got to walk like me, you got to be like me. And if you don't do that, you're not okay. And so I just wish, I wish that the world will really walk, give people to be, the ability to be free. Right. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, just let people be who they are. Like, stop putting all these restraints on people and just let people be. Because I think the world would be a better place. If you let people be who they are, we all be happy. Amen, my brother. Okay, so next question is, um, what would you change about yourself? Hmm. I would probably be less militant. <laughs> No, wait a minute. How are you going to be a good millennial and not be militant? Like, that's part of the millennial brand, bro. Well, when I talk about militant, I'm talking about with myself. Like, giving myself the freedom. Um, I guess, yeah, you're right. So, giving myself the freedom to, like, because sometimes I can be a little reserved with, okay, okay, this is who I authentically am, but... Um, you know, this is who I am, but because I'm Marvin Anderson, because I'm in a pharmaceutical, because I'm whatever, then do I have to put a, do I have to water it down or taper it down for this? So you want to be more militant. I'm sorry. <clears throat> hmm? You want to be more militant. 
Yeah. Yeah. You want to be me. <laughs> um, you know, I don't really care about the girls. They'll be all right. All right. One more. Uh, so, last two questions are pretty easy. So, the fourth one is what musical book is pushing you through right now? Like, what's really just giving you life in, in, in ways of like literature or books? Um, I I mean musical books, been, musical books. What'd you say? It could be music or books, like in the song that you just really bop into right now. Hmm. I know what it is. You talked about it this weekend. I'm, I'm not going to say that song. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how, although I do like Megan, Megan the Stallion, but that's not a song. But I'm reading this book called uh, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits? By James. Mm-hmm, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, and it talks about tiny changes make remarkable, remarkable results. And it's really a book that kind of like challenges our habits as individuals and it helps us to um, change those habits. But to not be so habit driven, but to live life right. and to just let things organically happen. And so that's what I'm reading. I'm reading that book called Atomic Habits. All right. Last question. If you could go back and interview anybody, living or dead, who would it be? If I could interview anybody? Yeah. Hmm. I could interview anybody. Right now, I probably think, because I don't think anybody is, he's getting a lot of pets and nobody's asking him the right questions. Mm-hmm. I would want to interview Nas X. Little Nas X? Yeah. I want to interview him because I would want to ask him like in-depth questions about him as a young man, as a millennial, being a hip-hop artist and his sexuality and all of those intersections. Right. Um, and that he really gives no fuck. Like... Like, and like, where did he get that from? You know what I'm saying? Because I would really want to interview him and get in his head and like, like, find out more about him. Cool beans. Well, look, y'all, we have Mr. Marvin Anderson from Live Higher, right? That's right. Live Higher. Yeah, Live Higher Incorporated. Live Higher Now. (laughs) Empowerment and Life Coach. Marvin, this was great. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, knowledge, your story, your life with us. Um, hopefully we'll get you back home pretty soon to talk about some more stuff with the work that you do with the Southern AIDS Coalition. We didn't really talk about that, but you guys are doing some remarkable work and uh, really helping a lot of people. So uh, looking forward to talking to you about that in the future as well. Anything before we go? You're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> yes. All right, man. Well, thanks right. a lot, y'all. Thank you, man. I am. Peace. All right. So that was it for today. Um, Next week, I'm going to interview a professor from University of Alabama at Birmingham talking about racism um, and how it works in uh, abortion. You know, we passed one of the most rigid anti-abortion laws in the country, but what happens to those babies when they get here? And more importantly for me, what happens when they're black? So, be listening uh, next week uh, when we drop our next episode of Let Me Say This. 
Uh, thank y'all again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.